we're going to begin here. 1 John 5, and we're going to read two verses here, but we probably won't go real far into these verses this week. I believe we'll pick them back up again, again next week. But 1 John 5, way back in the back of the Bible, verse 14 says this, Now, that's how it starts off, Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. There's a lot of confidence in those verses. A lot of knowing, being sure, and things like that. Do you know prayer can be that way? It can be more of a confident thing, an assured thing. But there are some principles that all of us need to know as believers that can change how you pray. I mean change how you pray. Not, you know, praying, kneeling, or standing up. But I mean praying a different way. And I don't mean, you know changing up externally so much as something changing inside. And so we're going to look at this, this, the first sentence and a half, I believe, today. Notice verse 14 said, Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask. If we ask. Remember, we talked about that last week. If I pray. And we said this, if you've been a believer for any length of time and have known the Lord, if you have had a time of praying and, uh, you know, where you started giving yourself to prayer and obeying God, you'll notice that there are certain effects that happen from that. And here's another phrase that's very similar to, if I pray, here it is, if, if we ask. So you could make that to you personally and say, if I ask, if I ask. And then he goes on to say some other things. But before we go further, that first phrase, this is the confidence. Wow, that defines prayer different. Because how many people are really confident when they go to pray. And here is how some people are confident when they go to pray. They go to pray and they go, God, you know, I've been doing a lot of good stuff for you lately. And they start building themselves up. And they start saying, you know, I've been doing a lot. You know, you know I'm a regular giver. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with doing a lot of good stuff. I, you know, I've been helping these people. I've been doing this. I've been doing a little bit of extra. Actually, in my eyes, I've actually been doing a lot extra. But then the opposite could be true if you approach God on the same terms. Next week, I haven't been doing as much. Well, God, you know, I did sin the other day. Well, actually, yeah, you know, I did this morning too. Well, and this afternoon. And, well, I just did a bunch this week that just wasn't good. 
And so a lot of people look at their confidence before God based on what they have or have not done. And notice this phrase, this is the confidence that we have in Him. What is that in Him part? It literally means in Jesus. This is the confidence that we have in Jesus, that if we ask. So our basis for praying has to do with Jesus and not just you. You with me? That's super important. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask. So there is some kind of confidence that has to be uniform for who? Every single believer. But what's uniform between you and the person next to you? You might be thinking, well, you know, I was pretty perfect this week. And I watched them, and they were not. They blew up, and whoo, they ever. So obviously, when they go to prayer, they're not going to have the confidence I have. But this is the confidence we have in Him. Not Notice it didn't say this is the confidence we have in ourselves. Because everybody, if we really, if God really ever shined the light on your life and my life, they wouldn't look so perfect. And so this is not a confidence just based on your own things, but he said this is the confidence that we have in him. So there should be a uniform confidence that every believer can have. And what's interesting is this guy who wrote this, was one of the apostles who traveled with the Lord, who was handpicked by the Lord, and he was, you know, somebody who was actually considered very close to the Lord. He was the one who, when people asked questions, they would ask him and he would ask the Lord. If you read through the Bible, John was that person. Matter of fact, John was one of the people that often when Jesus would separate his disciples to go with him to do things, there were different times that he would just take three of them with him even further. Like when he raised one child from the dead, he, his disciples came with him, his 12, but then he took Peter, James, and this guy, John. And then there were times when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory of the Lord appeared and the power of God came and these guys all fell on the ground. They saw a vision. They saw Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John. So this guy must be special, right? Beyond you and me. But it's interesting, he didn't act like that. Because notice he put himself there. He said, and this is the confidence that we have in him. There is a confidence that we're supposed to have in the Lord. And it's not based on us. Most people know the story of Adam and Eve. But in life, people want to take away Adam and Eve. And they want to add evolution and all kinds of other stuff. And you don't even want to know what I think about that. Somebody said, well, you're just not educated. No, you're just stupid. And um, 
Because, you know, if you think you came from a monkey, you need to be reinformed. Because the fact of the matter is you cannot come from a monkey. You can't evolve from like a tadpole, you know, to a polywog of some type and then, you know, get legs and arms. I mean, if you just figure out how the human body works, it would just take too long to evolve from one stage to the next before it became extinct. What about reproduction? You just think about that on your own. How do the each thing pass itself along to give information to the male and to the female and then figure out all the parts that work? And you need to be eaten this whole time. And so from a one cell to having an esophagus and then going, well, where do we put it? Takes another million years to get a stomach. And now that it's in there, I need some kind of acid to eat the thing to absorb it because, of course, I already know I need it absorbed in my body. No, you don't. And then how do you get rid of it? It takes another million years or billion years to get rid of it. Evolution takes more faith probably than the Bible. You know, people talk about blind faith. The Bible is not blind faith. But they'll take away Adam and Eve's story because then it takes away God, right and wrong, and the fall of man, therefore the needing, man needing help. But when Adam and Eve sinned, something happened to them. They would always walk with God in the cool of the day. God would come and meet with them, and they would talk to God. But what happened when they sinned? They hid themselves. They became guilty, self-condemned and condemned in their own heart. They became inferior before God. You could say it like this. They lost their confidence to stand and talk with God. Because when God came to them after that, they had to uh, be found. Now, it's not like God doesn't know where you are. That's for sure. But I do believe that he wanted them to have a part in their relationship. And so he said, hey, and he wanted them to respond. You with me? And so isn't that true with people? Sometimes you already know what they did, and you just want to see if they're going to be open with you and honest with you. So you ask them. They're like, no, never. You didn't eat that chocolate cake? No, I don't eat chocolate cake. And they got frosting all over their face. <laughs> I know. But you want them to come clean. You with me? And God was that way. He knew where they were and everything, but they had lost their confidence. They had a sense of guilt and inferiority, and that spread like a disease through mankind. The Bible said every man is guilty before God because of them. And there's just a sense of inferiority and guilt, and, and there is no remedy just through man. I mean, in other words, through what we can do. And so here it says this is the confidence that we have. But no man had confidence after that before God. He started remedying it, you know, giving, you know, telling them to sacrifice things and do different things like that so that they could have a temporary fix. But it wasn't a permanent fix. They had lost their confidence. They became, uh, had a sense of inferiority and they were, they had a sense of guilt inside. That's something nobody can remedy. 
You can do as many good works as you want to, and you can never get rid of guilt in you. There's only one way to get rid of guilt, and it's through what Jesus did, and it's through his blood. And so Revelation, the book of Revelation says this, to him, in the fifth verse, it says, to him who loved us. Who's he talking about here? Jesus. It's the last part of the fifth verse. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What does that mean? It means that he washed away everything that makes you. In other words, when you receive Jesus, he washes away everything. Everything that would make you inferior before God or have a sense of guilt before God. And what happens when it's all gone, then your confidence is restored. Especially when you really understand it. So knowledge of this for the believer can actually produce a confidence in them. People have an, a sense of inferiority before God because they still have a sense of guilt. And they think, well, if I just work hard enough, and they don't realize you can never work hard enough to get rid of your own guilt. Now, we should live right, but the only one who can wash it away is the Lord. And it happens when you get saved. The problem is this, that the church for a long time has preached to Christians like they're sinners and that they're still lost and that they don't have a relationship with God and that they haven't been made new and that God doesn't live in them and all these different things that they're not accepted by God. And the church has taught that. And then we've turned around and then Christians have learned truths and they've gone and taught the world like they're saved you with me you're all in good standing you're all children of God if you want to pray here's how you pray no that stuff is dedicated to the saints people who've given their life to the Lord and it's a shame that we don't tell people you're in a need of a Savior and you're not in good standing on your own. But the world is quite confident that I'm okay. And they're not. But then the church has this idea that they're not okay. And they are. You with me? Who's the church? This building? No, if you're saved, you're the church. You're okay. You're made new. And we need to understand that. When we give our lives to the Lord, you've been made new. And there is a confidence that comes by His blood. It washes away guilt internally. And you need to begin to think like that after you've given your life to the Lord. My sins have been removed by His blood. Now, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, is real interesting because this really talks about this confidence that we have in the Lord. And this confidence is to live this life, but it's also to talk with God. Where Adam and Eve lost it, Jesus got it back. And Hebrews 10, 19 says this. It says, therefore, brethren. So he's talking to people who have given their life to Jesus. Therefore, brethren. You know, it's interesting 
You can have natural brothers and sisters, but you can have spiritual ones. You may live with a natural brother and sister or do vacations with them or, you know, holidays with them, but if they don't know the Lord, you're not, they're not going to do eternity with you. They need to know him. It, it, but there are people who are your spiritual brothers and sisters. And it's because when you give your life to the Lord, you're actually in a different family. Ephesians says that the whole family, everybody who's given their life to God, is part of the same family and named by the same name. But notice it says, therefore, brethren, so he's talking to you if you're a believer, having boldness, confidence, assurance to enter the holiest, how do you enter the holiest? In other words, he's talking about going before God. He's talking about taking time to pray. And he, remember our other verse said, this is the confidence we have. Well, he said, therefore, brethren, having boldness, confidence, or assurance to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. How can you enter into a gym confidently? You have to have a membership, and you have to have it paid for and current, right? I go to a park where I hike, and you get a pass, and you have to pay for it. You can buy a one-time one, or you can buy one that you, you can use for the whole year. And that pass gives you access. It was paid for. I can go there. I can go there as often as I want to, but it's not by my own confidence that I can go in there. As a matter of fact, if they ever would say, hey, you have no right to be here, I could say, wait a minute, I do. Look at this pass. And we don't get a pass into heaven and to go to the holiest by our own deeds, but by the payment of the blood of Jesus. You know, people don't like to talk about that, but that was the payment. You know, we might sing a song some week that talks about the blood of Jesus. What is the blood? What is it? It was the payment. It's relevant. It's needful. It's what he paid for you to get to heaven and to be able to talk to God and to be in good standing with him. And it says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, assurance, and confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Notice the very next phrase, by a new... So if you went and bought a new car and I walked out into the parking lot and saw like a 1972 Pinto, I said, oh, that's a new car? No, no. Right? Hey, it might be restored, it might be in great condition, but it's not new. So this new thing he's talking about is different than the old thing that used to be. This is a new thing. It's a new way. This should become the way that we pray and enter before God. Notice he said, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated or dedicated for us through the veil or into the holy place before God, that is through his flesh. 
He made a way through the sacrifice of his own body when Jesus died for you to be able to boldly be able to pray with confidence, to come back into good standing with the Lord. It's through his blood that you're able to pray. In other words, he paid for that pass. You know, the pass we use to get in the gym, and this is a lifetime membership. You with me? And you don't have to make payments on it. He made the payments. And so what does this do? If you know you have this and you go to go to the park, meaning you have this pass, and they say, wait a minute, or there's any sense, you would just get bold and go, I can go in here. You with me? When you know it's yours, you can go, I can go here. Think of how confident you can be. I was born and raised in Southern California, and after a while, they started doing these yearly passes to Disneyland. And there are blackout dates and things like that, or you can buy up, or used to be able to, I don't know if it's changed, and get one that you could go anytime you wanted to. It just costs more. But if the payment was made, you could be with your friends, and they might have a pass, and they can go, I, I can go to Disneyland whenever I want to. And no, you can't. And they go, oh, I guess you're right. No, if they had that pass paid for, they would be confident and say, yes, I, if they're open, I can go. Nuh-uh. You're right, I know. But how many Christians are like that because they don't know that they, they think their confidence to pray is based on themselves? But there was one who died to pay for a way for you to be able to confidently pray all the time. And we're not talking about praying to see if you get an answer, but we're talking about praying to get results. And so he said there's a new way. It's a new way, and it's by the blood of Jesus. Notice this in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. We'll look at this. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. If we're talking about having a confidence to pray, where does this confidence first start? It starts by Jesus. Notice this in the fourth chapter in the 15th verse. It says, For we do not have a high priest, in the 15th verse, fourth chapter, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. <clears throat> Let us therefore come boldly or confidently to the throne of grace. He calls his throne the throne of grace, the place of ability, the place of strength, the place of gifting and granting. That's what you're going to. And how can you go there confidently and boldly? He said it's a new way, and the new way is through Jesus. The new way is through Jesus, not through you. Because really, who can really approach God by their own merit? But I do know, for some reason or another, many people have it ingrained in their head, or maybe even in their heart, 
that if I just do good enough, I can approach him boldly and I'll get my prayers answered. So what really happens sometimes is people will look at me and not realize that I'm not perfect and that, see, I, I knew it would be a shock to some people. <laughs> serious? Yeah, I'm not perfect. But then people will think he's perfect, perfect enough, I'll have him pray for me. I still have to come with the same confidence based on the same things. And everybody here needs to come to the place where you recognize you have a confidence based on Jesus to get answers to prayer and to stand before God and not based on your own performance. Well, I would pray today, but I just feel so guilty about everything I did. You, I don't know if you notice this. But he said this, he said, for we do not have a high priest, verse 15, who cannot be sympathize or cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted like us, but he didn't sin. Notice verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, this place where we can obtain things, that we may obtain Notice this phrase, mercy, and find grace to help in a time of need. What is mercy, and how can you come boldly for this? Many people think that they deserve a right to pray based on how good they are. But actually, when he talks about mercy... That is when you deserve something like judgment. And so what he's saying is when you sense inferiority, I can't stand up before God, he said you can still come boldly before him and obtain mercy. Instead of getting judgment, you can have mercy. And you can come boldly to get it. In other words, without a sense of inferiority, when you maybe haven't measured up, you can still come confidently before God. How? Through Jesus. Because of what he paid for and what he did. This will help you immensely. Because every single person in this room that endeavors to give their life to the Lord and then serve Him is going to come to a place where they sense a personal failure. And they're going to think, can I pray? Can I talk to God? You actually can just boldly go. You can boldly go. You can confidently go. Why? Because it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And that's how he started that whole thing in 1 John. This is the confidence that we have. John himself, the one who walked with the Lord, put himself in that bunch. He didn't say because the Lord personally picked me. I have this, you know, a, a great confidence and you guys need this other confidence. No, he said my confidence and my assurance is the same as yours. I got it at the same store. Same place. The only place you can get it, I got it from Jesus.
And so we need to understand if we have given our lives to Jesus, we have confidence to go boldly and to obtain things. I was raised where if I went to somebody else's house, I didn't just go bust into the refrigerator. Even if it was my best friend, that's just how we were. And uh, I even had friends that came to my house that they'd go looking in the refrigerator, and I'd say, you can't do that. This is not your house. But they were raised like that. But, I mean, kids have a confidence to be able to go into their own refrigerator at their own home, I hope. I just wanted water. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, if we come boldly into the throne of grace, we should have a confidence to be able to go right into the refrigerator, so to speak, of heaven. I mean, wouldn't it be wrong if you were a child and your parents said, well, because you've done wrong, you cannot eat for the next three days? You don't get to go in the refrigerator? You don't get to go into the closet? No, even if you did wrong. Now, you might not get dessert, but you'd still go get food, right? Wouldn't you? You'd be totally confident because of your standing and in that family that I can go there and I can ask and I can get something or I don't even have to ask. I can just go and obtain it. And isn't that how he talked? He said, you can come right into the throne of grace and just go obtain it. Take it yourself. Well, I thought I'd ask and see if he wanted me to have it. He said, you can go obtain it. You can just go get it. Actually, if you, when we study prayer, you're going to find that a lot of praying is not, Lord, will you please do this? It has to do with you just going and taking it. But we haven't been taught that way a lot of times. But I could go through Scripture after Scripture that tell us that's how we do it. But some, so many people have such an inferiority complex spiritually, maybe not in life, but spiritually, that they just don't feel like I can just go into the refrigerator, so to speak, and just grab some milk if I need it or go grab this if I want it and just go get it. And then they say things like, well, if it be your will, Lord. But they don't even know how to find his will. I heard somebody recently, a really good minister, say something and I just went, don't say that. I mean, he's a real good minister and doing a great work for God. And I thought, don't say that. Don't leave people with that idea. It's wrong. He said, no matter what you pray, you just always add, if it be thy will at the end. And I thought, you can't do that. That's wrong. It makes people have a sense of inferiority. It then turns around and leaves it all on God. Somebody said, well, we got to leave it all on God. What if he didn't say that? And we just made that up. What if there is only really one time in the New Testament that he ever said that? And then we've connected to everything. What if there's only one place in your car that you're supposed to use motor oil? Serious. Just one place. One place you're supposed to use motor oil. But because, you know, I'm a preacher, a mechanic, and you trust me, I say, just use motor oil on everything. 
So your seats, you know, you just pour motor oil. And you go, oh, the carpet, we'll just pour motor oil. I got to go get my car washed, just, we'll just add motor oil. Oh, you need air. Just add motor oil. See, it starts sounding stupid, and it's going to make a mess of things. I mean, if you just poured it on your engine, you know, I need my engine details. It's been off-road. Just, just add, just always add motor oil. And they're like, some people have enough sense to go, serious? Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, you just, you just always add motor oil. All right, and they just pour it on there. You're going to be driving down the street, and smoke is going to be going everywhere. And people are going to be thinking, what's his problem? Well, I just add motor oil to everything. And how many people have been taught to add, if it be thy will? What if we did that? You know, we, we, we get to the end of the service today. We give an invitation for people who want to give their life to the Lord. And we say, come up here after, and we're going to pray with you, and all you have to do is receive him. And if you receive him, you'll be saved, if it's his will. Well, how can we come to the determination of what his will is? By praying and seeing? Well, just go about your business. I guess you're going to hell. Sorry, we're all going to heaven. Because I guess it just wasn't his will. No, we know from the Bible what his will is. And so he said here that, notice verse 16, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice we can come boldly. Let's close over here in Ephesians, the first chapter, or third chapter. We have a confidence in the Lord. Sometimes you just have to be informed about the confidence that you have if you've given your life to the Lord. Because here's what happens. People can be contaminated by stuff. You with me? I think people don't realize that, that, that the Christian life can be super simple, but can be complex too at the same time. I know this from working on cars that, you know, you go... Look, if you take the radiator cap off and look, and don't do that on your own, especially when your car's hot. And, um, but you take it off. If you look in there and you go, wow, there's this green-looking fluid. That stuff's not good to drink. It's antifreeze. But if you notice oil mixed in there, you know something internally is damaged. Something's leaking into an area, and it's getting into something, you know, where a place where it shouldn't be. And we need to make sure that some of these things that we've heard don't contaminate our confidence. That was granted to us not by you, but by the Lord. He just granted this to you. When you received Him, He gave it to you. Period. But if you haven't heard... You may have started off thinking, man, yeah, I can pray, I can pray. And then after a while, if you started feeling inferior and didn't know how to resist those lies, you might have just adopted, yeah, I remember when I used to be able to pray like that, but not anymore. You know, some people just need to be power washed, you know what I mean, and just cleaned of some junk. Because this isn't to make you feel superior to somebody else, this just 
was God making you sufficient to be able to be confident enough to come and talk to him and hang out with him as much and as often as you would like and to get answers. And so here in Ephesians, and I'm not there yet, the third chapter, we'll close with this verse. It says this, and it's real interesting. Ephesians to me is such a fascinating book. But notice this in Ephesians, the third chapter, the 12th verse, in whom, or literally it means in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence. Those are a lot of words. Big words, boldness and access. He gave you an all-access pass. He gave you boldness to use it. With confidence or assurance. How? Through faith in yourself. That's the key. If you can just have self-faith, just believe in yourself. Now, you should believe in yourself to a degree, but if you're talking about this kind of stuff, you need to believe in Jesus. Here's the cool thing. Jesus does not change. You do. I said, you do. So if you've got your faith in yourself, some days you're going to go, yeah. Other days you're going to go, oh. And those other days we don't want to talk about. But if you put your faith in Jesus and put your trust in him, and here's the thing, you can be saved and start moving your faith back into your own self. Now, you need to live right, don't get me wrong, but the fact of the matter is your confidence, this boldness, in whom? In Jesus. We, not just me, not just you, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Jesus or faith in Him. This is the confidence, and we'll go beyond this next week, but I thought, well, I'll give a little introduction of that first sentence. This is the confidence that we have in Him. How do you get this confidence to pray boldly? By your trust in Jesus. Well, you could see, you could come kick the door in now. How many of you ever came home late when you were young? And you didn't kick the door in. You went. Because why? You knew based on you, you're in trouble. Right? And even if you thought you made it to the next morning, then your mom or dad said, so what time did you get home? Um, what time did you go to bed? <laughs> then I can answer that. Right? But we were up and you weren't home. You, you don't have any confidence, any boldness, because it's based on you. But when it comes to praying and talking to God, your assurance and confidence doesn't come from you. It starts 
because of your relationship with Jesus. He's the one who made you innocent. He's the one who washed you. He's the one who cleansed you. And if you sinned five minutes ago, it's his blood that still washes you. And that's why you have to keep your faith there and not move it into yourself. This is why we need to be careful in how we treat Christians too. Do you know what they did last week? Do you know what they did a week ago? You better be careful because the Lord may have already, that might be all washed away and now you're talking about stuff that no longer exists. What are you doing? You're making them non-qualified in your own eyes. Oh, hallelujah. Does it make you more qualified because they're less qualified in your own eyes? Because if that's where your faith is, you're going to be up and down. When life gets hard, you're going to think, I can't pray, I just made a mistake. And then other days when you're doing right, you're going to say, oh, come unto me, all of you who need prayer. <laughs> you with me? Because I am ready today. We're closed next week. I know I'm going to be hanging out over here and maybe not doing everything like I should. Now, we should live right, but our confidence comes from the Lord.